as we worshiped, I just felt that God's saying, resist the temptation to measure with your measure. Resist the temptation to, to look at what's happening and, and think, but we want, I want it like this. We had a, a gentle moment where I believe that the Holy Spirit has actually engaged individuals yet tonight. We can easily get, get wrapped up in the, in the moment and as a crowd sing and, and, and get stirred up, but, but tonight's not getting a crowd stirred up. I believe tonight is the evening where God has got a personal uh, appointment, a divine appointment with individuals here tonight. So even if you're a visitor, thank you for coming. Uh, this is not by chance that you're here. You might be here for a reason that you think you came, but God has choreographed the moment that you can be here so that he can have a divine appointment with you. And we've been, we've been, we heard words about what we can receive from God, what we can, what we can, how we can uh, line ourselves up with the Word of God, and what He will do in our lives. And I think tonight is, is sort of God wants to say. I think Luke actually said, "There's more. There's God." And sometimes we want the things of God more than what we want God. But it starts with wanting God, and all these things will be added unto you. So let's read a very well-known scripture. Some of you read it before breakfast this morning. And it's in Acts chapter 17. And I'm just going to have a very simple message, read through it and unpack it a bit, and just see what God's saying to us. But I believe that God is speaking to individuals. So if you're feeling something different tonight, where the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart, I want you to pay attention. Don't let this moment pass by, because God has set aside this moment for you and Him. So let's read this. So verse 22 of chapter 17 of Acts says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Oropagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by, hand, by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of the dwelling place, of their dwelling place, that they should see God and perhaps feel their way towards Him and find Him. And that's the mission of tonight. The reason why we get together is not just to get goosebumps, to do some physical exercise, but jumping up and down as we worship. We actually want to find God and get to know Him on a personal level. Yet, He actually... He is actually not far from each of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your, your own prophets have said, 
for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God has overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And God will bless the public reading of his word. If you want to give my message a heading is the unknown God. I can understand that Paul speaks to a group of heathens up till now, he's been preaching to, to mostly Jewish, Jewish people that were led to the Lord. But, but now he's speaking to, to heathens. And he's saying that you are very religious, and some translations say very stupid, superstitious. But you know why I get that wrong? You know why I get that wrong? Because as a kid, I thought it was stupid stitches. <laughs> because that's the actual meaning of it. Being religious is stupid stitches. <laughs> and he walks amongst, he walks among because they've got gods for everything. They want to cover themselves. They want to make sure that nothing is missed. So they've got a, everything is a god. And then because they heard that the Jews were serving, there was a Messiah, they put up an altar to the unknown God. And I can understand that. But my concern tonight is that we might have people that attend a fellowship like this, and to them, God might still be an unknown factor. That's my concern. My concern is that we can be taken up with the things of God. We can love the music. We can love the lights. We can love... Some people even have smoke machines and, and everything, all the paraphernalia. I mean, I, I, used to, I used to look at people with these armbands, armbands that says WWJD. What would Judas do? And they do exactly what Judas would do, even if they have the armband on. Sometimes we are more taken up with the things of God than God himself. So can I ask you from the outset, the God that you serve, do you know him? Because he is a God that, we, that wants to be known and wants to be made known. That's the God we serve. It's possible to know him, but our mission is to make him known. The question is, is your God that you serve tonight still an unknown factor to you? Do you know him? So let's look at the scripture. We're just going to go through what Paul uh, uh, um, speaks to these people about. He says that he basi he's basically taking them on because they've got, they've got the altar there, but they're not, re they're not really serving this God. The problem is, if we have limited knowledge of God, we will have limited worship of God. Limited knowledge leads to limited worship. Because the more you know Him, the more you have revelation of who He is, the more spontaneous worship will flow. It's because we don't know Him intimately that we battle to worship intimately. 
Because how? How do I say, I love you, Lord, if I haven't thought of him the whole week? How do I say, oh, Lord, you, you are you're, you're magnificent, if I haven't even thought about, about his magnificence? So limited knowledge of God will lead to limited worship of God. What I know of him will, uh, will affect and impact what I think of him. What I know about my God, and, and, and the knowledge is not intellectual knowledge. God does not reveal himself to the mind. God reveals himself to the heart. It's about relationship. God does not reveal himself to the mind. That's why we don't fall at the feet of intellectuals, people who know everything. We are led by, by men and women that are spiritually filled. Intellectual knowledge will make you know something about God, but it doesn't bring you in a closer relationship with God. And therefore, you can ask the greatest questions. You can argue and debate facts about the Bible. It doesn't make you spiritually stronger. It's about having a personal heart relationship with God. So maybe you can be asking all the right questions. Maybe you're quite clever. You can debate the Word of God. You can ask questions that other believers can't answer. But to you, God is still unknown because you know me here, not here. We, I have a friend, and we used to sail together. And he used to say, I've said it before, he used to say, when you know in your knower, then you know. When you know in your knower, he's Afrikaans guy. When you know in your knower, and that's not here, your knower is here. When you know in your heart, that is God. You know that is God. There are so many people that, that knows God on an intellectual level and there's nothing going on here. And God is challenging that tonight. It's about revelation. I'm going to read in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 to 10. Is it up there? I'll just read it. It says here, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart had imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, these things has been revealed to us through the Spirit. It's not by debate. It's not by acquiring knowledge. We get revelation from the, by the Spirit of God and he reveals his heart to us. And for that, I need time with God. Ah, you know what? I wish, just a simple thing to get you going. Just look at the amount of airtime that you buy a month. And decide that you will spend that amount of time with God as well, not just on your phone. So if you, go, if you take, uh, how many minutes do you get? 100 minutes? 200 minutes a month? I don't know what you get. But, but if you just take the same amount of minutes that you spend on your phone, equate that airtime to time with God your life will start to change already. We don't know God because we're not spending time with Him. It says here, to the unknown God, and yes, I can understand that sometimes, certain parts of God we'll never understand, but we, we, when we're intellectual, when we want to challenge other people about what we know about God on the basis of what we know about God, we, we try and think, or we think that we can know everything about God. I want to tell you tonight, the one thing that you can know about God is the fact that you can't know everything about God. 
because he's God. And I actually want to take you to, to um, uh, um, what's it, Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that, that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the works of his law. That scripture is clear. The one thing that we can know about God is that we cannot know everything about God. But the things that he reveals to us, the things that he actually opens up to us, we can know that. The problem is, if we try and engage him intellectually, we won't even know the things that he reveals to us. It's not a, for some people, it's a mind over matter. And for those in the morning service, it's mind over mattress. Because they can't get up <laughs> out of bed to go to church. So, so it's not a question of mind over matter. It's a question of a surrendered heart. So if you, if you think you have knowledge of God of here, I want you tonight to realize that God has pushed the pause button, brought you into this place, so that he can tell you he wants a personal relationship with you and he wants you to have a personal relationship with him. Our mission is to know God and to make him known. If you read what Paul says here, he says, What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. That's our mission. Our mission is to get to know God with our hearts. And when we meet people who doesn't know God with their hearts, who knows God with their intellect, or maybe they don't know God at all. When we meet such, it's our job to proclaim what they know as what they see as unknown to proclaim that God to them. That's our mission. Our mission is not to argue about difficult technical things or to show other people how much we know. We need to share or proclaim the one that's unknown to them. We need to proclaim to them that we know him. But the question is. Do you know him? That's the question. It's an individual question. It's not a corporate question. We can't say that as a church we know him. It's as an individual I need to know him so that when I get the opportunity to speak to anybody who does not know him, that I have the right words, that I understand my God, that I can share the message of the gospel with people like that. So let's just... See what he's saying. When he says, I proclaim the unknown God to you, this is the following stuff that Paul actually declares to him. He says, The God who made heaven and earth, the God who made the, whole, the world and everything in it, that's verse 24 of Acts 17. He says, that's the, the, the God who is unknown to you is the God that who made the world and everything in it. That's the creator God. Psalm 33 verse 6 says, By the word of the, Lord, of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. What he's saying is there was no big bang as, and, and stuff just happened. God spoke a word and all the world came into orbit. He's, he waved his hands and planets filled the empty skies. 
That's the God that seems to be unknown to the world. That's the God that we should know. That He's the God who created the world. That He's the God who spoke a word and, and, and the world came, came into being. And when we defy God, when we come into His face and we want to question Him, now there's a difference because, between asking God a question and questioning God. God wants to be known, so He allows you to ask Him questions. But sometimes we have that thing that the French called attitude. <laughs> we have an attitude where we want to question God. No, we shouldn't question God because he's God. He's the one who spoke and he said, he spoke light into being and light, amazing signs, eh? light came out of his mouth at the speed of light. Not faster, not slower. Light came forth at the speed of light. He spoke and planets filled the empty sky. And then I want to question him. I cannot question God. He's the creator of the universe. What he's saying here is he, he made the world and everything in it. So, so he's saying that, that this God, if you read further, being the Lord of heaven and earth, he's saying that this God who created this world is the omnipotent God. All-powerful. He created. There's no one bigger than him. So, so first of all, is no, it's no sense in seeking the things of God until you know this God. Because as you seek Him, He will give you the fruit that He wants to give you. He wants to bless you with what He wants to bless you. So He is the Creator God, and it also says that He is the omnipotent God. The God who made the world and everything in it. And then it says, the Lord of heaven and earth, that's the omnipresent God. He's not limited to heaven. He's not limited to earth. He's everywhere at the same time. And please don't think in terms of, oh, but God is so big that he's got his foot here and his hand in America and his other hand in Australia. No, no. God is everywhere in the same way at the same time. Therefore, I dare not put my finger in his face and question him. God is omnipresent. And this, this is the God that we have to make known to those who seem as an unknown God. But I can only do, it, do that if I know him personally. Isn't that the, the amazing part of all of this? That the creator God and the omnipresent God, although he created everything, is actually interested in me and you. He chooses he chooses to partner with us into changing this world into more of his likeness. What a privilege. What a privilege. Isn't that reason enough to adjust our lifestyles to fit with what God wants? Instead of living like we want to live. So we have an omnipotent God who could make anything. We've got an omnipresent God who's everywhere. And it says here like this, um, uh, and he does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands. He does not live in temples made by man because he is beyond man. He is above man. He is below man. 
He is transcendent. That line speaks to the transcendency of God. He is beyond everything. And my, with, with all respect, with all respect, I don't mean it as rude or anything, but I have to set the record straight. Germany got it wrong. Germany got it wrong. And if you're German, I do apologize that I have to bring you to that, uh, to make this aware, because they say, Deutschland über alles. No. God is over everything. And he alone. There's no country, there's no president, there's no people group that is over everything. God is transcendent. God is over everything. God uber alles. And that same God should reign transcendently over our lives. The same God who's over everything that everything includes my heart. Includes my lifestyle, includes my finances, includes my marriage, includes my fathering. God over everything. And I have to, I have to rush through this, I apologize, but because each one of those topics are actually a sermon on their own. But I, I, just, I just wanted to read the scripture as it is, it is here so we can see who this God is that we need to proclaim to others. So when we speak to an unbeliever, just to say that God is good or to tell him about the one thing, that, that miracle that happened 40 years ago, that you keep on, that crocodile that you fight, right? Yeah, to keep on telling the miracle of 15 years ago, God is bigger than that. God is more relevant and current than that. You need a current testimony of what God is doing. The one of 30 years ago, that's fine, but you can ask any surfer here, can you surf last year's wave? That wave that you have at that reef, reef in Komiki 20 years ago, can you, can you go and surf it again? No. But yet we, ha we harper on testimonies of 20 years ago and we don't find a current testimony. God is current. God still does miracles. God still provides. God still heals. We need current testimonies of what God is doing. But then we need to seek Him. Then God needs to be over everything. And we need to be totally surrendered to Him. God is transcendent. He's unreachable in character. Isn't that amazing? So, so when you want to take on his character, when you question his character, you're questioning the attribute of God that's called transcendency. We cannot question God's character. His character is out of reach, but he, his person is in reach. He can. He can be known. You can't touch his character, but you can know him in person. God is transcendent. He's above everything. He's unreachable in his character, but reachable in his person. And maybe for some of you, this is going to be hard. He outclasses us and he surpasses us. We're not what we think we are. We're not all that. God surpasses us and God outclasses us. That's all part of his transcendency. He's way beyond anything that you could ever imagine. He's above us. He's beyond us. He's in no need of us, actually, because he's God. And yet, he chooses to partner with us. Yet, although he's put everything into being, he takes time out and sends his son to die on a cross 
to pay the price to reconcile sinful man to a holy God. He didn't need us, but he wants us to have fellowship with him. We can do nothing. We can add nothing to who God is. Nothing that we can do can, can add to who God is. Yet, he stops in his tracks and he makes time for us. Isn't that enough reason for us to make time for him? It's time, I did Candace say, that we wake up. It's time that we come out of our slumber, out of our sleep, and start serving God with everything we have. He's a God that wants to be known, and he wants to be made known. If you don't know what to say to unbelievers, then it's because you don't know your God. Simple as that. And spending time with your God will give you something to say to others. It says here that he is as though he is in need of anything, nor is he served by human hands, um, still verse 25, as though he is in need of anything, since he himself gave to all mankind life and breath and everything. That speaks to another attribute of God, the self-sufficiency of God. He doesn't need anything. He's independent. He's all-sufficient. He's self-sustaining. He needs nothing but himself. He's a self-entity, and there's nothing we can do to add to him. But that's the God that we worship. That's the God that we get to know on a personal basis if we accept his son, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior, as the one who paid that price for us. When we receive him as our Lord, personal Lord and Savior, we get to spend time with this God. If you do not know him and you come into his presence, there will be a slightly different response from you. It is something to fear to fall in the hands of a living God. But when you, when you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's the most amazing experience to be in the presence of the self-sufficient God. It says here, verse 26, And he made from one man every nation of, of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. Now this is where some might have a problem. This is where some might question and where you might have asked questions in the past. I'm just getting too excited. I need to water my throat. I'm not Lazarus. Or the rich man either. Mm. God determined allotted periods and the boundaries of man's dwelling. That speaks to the sovereignty of God. So I'm going to give you a definition as I understand the sovereignty of God and there are many theologians in the front row here and in the second row. I'm acknowledging you, Marius. Uh, <laughs> and, and in the third row, and in the fourth row, and fifth and sixth. So you're all included. I know some of you have better definitions, but this is uh, the sound desk. Okay, the sound desk as well, eh? Now, especially at the sound desk. Now that I see who's at the sound desk. <laughs> the sovereignty of God. Okay, you as well. 
<laughs> the sovereignty of God is the right of God to govern and control the universe he created. The sovereignty of God is the right of God to govern and control the universe that he created. And I can tell you now, many of the other theological questions that you're grappling with, the answer lies in the sovereignty of God. As a believer, you need to settle in your heart that God is sovereign. You need to settle that. You need to settle in your heart that God is an entity in himself. We can't add to him that God created this world, that God has given you life and me life. And you need to settle the sovereignty of God. And once the sovereignty of God is settled in your heart, all the other aspects will be easier to deal with. We have many questions. There are many questions that people argue about. And when they argue about that, it, it just indicates that they haven't got the sovereignty of God down and understand and accepts that. So whatever it is that you're battling with in the Word of God, and it might be a, a difficult topic, before you try and settle that, and read about the sovereignty of God, understand the sovereignty of God, and you'll find that it will become much easier later on. Maybe we can go to Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46, I think I would want to read that so that we can get a bit clear picture of the sovereignty of God. It says here, Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10. There we go. God says, Remember the former things of old. Here we go. I am God. God is not asking a question. He's not getting your opinion. He says to you, like he said to Moses at the burning bush, I am God. And there is no other. Yes, your Harley Davidson, your Ferrari, your Porsche, your house does not compete with God. What you've achieved in life, your qualifications, does not compete with God. He says, I'm God and there is no other. I'm God and there is no one like me. And that's why when Paul spoke to, to, to uh, those guys in Athens, he said to him, all the other stuff, all the other gods doesn't matter because this one that you see as unknown God is actually the only God. And that's the God that we need to get to know so that we can share with other people who doesn't know him about what we know about God. And some of us have a lot to say about it because we spend time with God, and some of us might have nothing to say because we know God here, but not here. It says, I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel, my counsel shall stand, and I will. Just underline that here, but I will accomplish all my purpose. Please note, it's not my purposes. Because everything that God does is his purpose. God doesn't have different purposes. No, no, God has a purpose. And everything that happens, although we might not understand it, it might not, we might not be able to fit it into those three brain cells that we specially allocated for that kind of thinking. We might not be able to fit it in there. But God will. God is not asking our permission, guys. God will accomplish 
all His purpose. The question is, do you want to be part of it? Are you ready to be part of what God is doing currently on the face of the earth? There's not much we can do about 50 years ago. I did my bit then. I was eight years old. But there's not much that you, some of you youngsters can do about it because it's past. There's not much that some of us can do in 50 years from here if, God, if Jesus hasn't come to fetch his bride. There's, there's not much we can do other than be involved in what God is doing here and now. I will accomplish all my purpose. I'm all-powerful. I'm almighty. I'm supreme. I'm transcendent. There's no one above me. There's no one beyond me. There's no one like me. All supremacy is mine, says God. That's the God that we serve. I just want to read another scripture. It's Psalm 135. I'm not apologizing for getting excited about God because He's a great God. He's an awesome God. He's worth getting excited about. It says here in Psalm 135, verse 5 and 6, it says, For I know that the Lord is great. I wish that more people will settle that in their hearts. I know that the Lord is great. And that our Lord is above all gods. Because if we believe that, if we settle that, there will be no competition in our lives to take the place of God. We might intellectually say, God is the only God. But if you look in our lives, you might find other little gods that's taking up space that's only meant for God the Creator. Whatever the Lord pleases, it's all got to do with God, the the uh, attributes of God, whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth. He does anywhere what He wants to, in the seas and all the depths. God can do whatever He wants to because He's God. And yet, and yet He's gracious. As we stand, I mean, for today, I celebrate my 58th birthday. Do you know that there was a time 20 years ago, exactly 20 years ago, when I was 38, I was so sick, I had heart problems, that I wouldn't be able to walk from my car to here without either assistance or without stopping three to four times just to rest. And I just prayed, I said, God, my kids are small. Just give me a chance. I said, There's so many things I still want to, I would love to preach. I, I, this is what I love to do. To me, it's not a, a burden to preach on, the, on my birthday or on Father's Day. I love this. This is what I was born to do. And I said, Lord, just, just extend my life. That was 20 years ago. I am so grateful to God. I, I'm so aware of His, of His favor, of His grace, of His mercy. To me, it's not, it's not difficult to say, I love you, Lord. Because he has done great things, but it's not because of what he's done. I worship God because of who he is. If you're going to worship God for what he's done, you're going to worship, stop, worship, stop. But if you worship him for who he is, you will constantly worship him. Because he is an amazing God. The next thing I'd like you to show is that the fact that Paul says, I'm going to proclaim this God to you. Here are a bunch of heathens. And God sends Paul there. 
And he might get a hiding. He might get beaten up. He might get chucked out of the town. But God sends his representative there because he's a God that wants to be known by the heathens as well. He's a God that wants to be known by us. He's a God who wants to be known. It says here, he allotted the times of the periods and the boundaries of the dwelling place that they would seek God. That's verse 27 of Acts 9 or 17. The reason, the reason God does what he does, the reason why God in his sovereignty orchestrates and, and, and puts things in place where he choreographs every moment. Um, I, used to, I used to have the privilege of acting on stage and, and, and what looks spontaneous where you enter stage left and exit stage right or when you're in, this, in the middle and the spotlight is on you, what looks spontaneous has been well rehearsed. It's actually the better it's rehearsed, the more spontaneous it looks. And you, you, you're sitting there and you watch this show and you're like, wow, Clarence is good. No, no, nobody ever said that. Um, but you look at these actors and you go, wow, that's great. And you get taken up by what's being said and done, but it's been rehearsed. And in the same way, you don't know it. But actually, I'm going to risk it because I don't believe there's stones in the place and nobody would stone me. <laughs> they got phones here. <laughs> You might not like what I'm going to say now. But actually, we are puppets. But we're in the hands of the master puppeteer. And you might not like the string that's being pulled. You don't like your hand going like that. Or in my case, my hand just spontaneously goes like that if I don't watch it. You, don't, you might not like the string that's being pulled. But God does what he does because of verse 27, that they should seek me. And perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. I'm not sure what you're going through. I'm not sure what, diff what the, difficulty is, the difficulties are that you're facing. But tonight God gives you opportunity to get to know him. You know, history was made last night. I had to bring it in. Sorry to the Bulls supporters. I just had to. We didn't often get a chance to, to bring it in. <laughs> the Stormers beat the Bulls. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But now imagine. Imagine that moment the final whistle blew. And the Stormers fans are going ballistic. Right? They're crazy. I mean... Guys were kissing guys. And I hope that doesn't become a habit. But, <laughs> but it was just, I mean, big rugby men were kissing other men. I'm like, no, don't start something. <laughs> the point is, the point is, if you, if you were in that crowd, in that moment when the final whistle went and we became the champions, the first champions, and I phoned you on your cell phone, you might not have heard the, the phone ring. If I phoned you at that very moment and you were at the... Who was at the field? You? No? Who was it? <laughs> okay, it's middle of the month. Middle of the month, I can understand that what you're going to do is TV. Okay? But even in Luke's home... I don't know if you watched... Did you watch it? 
Okay, you're reading the Bible. But if, if we were at that field, can you imagine being at that field, in that moment the whistle blows, and I phone you, chances are you wouldn't have answered your phone because you wouldn't have heard me. It de- doesn't mean I didn't phone you. The noise was just too much. And for some of us, we don't hear God phoning us. You don't hear, you're not aware of God contacting you because the background noise in your life is too loud. Want to get to know God? You want to get to know God? Turn down the background noise. Find a quiet place and speak to God. Haven't got time to go into the others, but God says the parameters of your life. In Him, we live and move and have our being. Anything outside of Him is not part of His will for your life. He sets the parameters. If you want to be safe, live within the parameters of God. In Him, we live and move and have our being. And it's not a question of one moment I'm in Him, and when I don't like it, I'm out of Him. If you've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus, you're in Him. Please don't step out of Him. In Him we live and move and have our being. And then the last part that I can't get to now, or second last part is, he says, please, in verse 29, he says, we ought not to think that the divine things is like gold or silver or stone or image formed by the art or imagination of man. And that speaks to God's absolute dislike of idolatry. Now, I know, we all know, what idol, we th- when we speak about idolatry, we th- speak about a Buddha, or we speak about um, some other crucifix, or whatever, and say people, people worship that. But it says here specifically that God is not like gold or silver or precious stones. And, and actually, if we had the time to go into that, God is so glorious, God is so magnificent, that in our language, we don't have the words to, to explain Him. We say magnificent, but that's not enough. We say awesome, but then again, you go to Mug and Bean, and you have a chocolate cake, and you say, that's awesome. So is God now chocolate cake? Our words are limited, because you mean the chocolate cake is nice, but when you say God's awesome, you actually mean he, He's very, very big. We, we don't have the words to describe God, and therefore when the Bible was written, you would see that in Ezekiel, I think it's Ezekiel 1, when Ezekiel sees that image that he saw with the wheel within the wheel and the, and the, the creatures with the four faces and the six wings, when he saw that, he said, and it was like this, and it was like that, and it was like a throne, with, like a rainbow. Because we don't have the words to say. And idolatry is, when the, when the Bible says is, it is like that, that we start believing God is that. Because God is not that. The Bible says He's like that. So when we think, when He speaks about um, uh, this rainbow and the throne and whatever, the description of man doesn't match who God really is. We just don't have the words. And when you start speaking of God as if he is that, that we speak in our limited word, that's idolatry. Because he's not that. And he's warning us against this. And then I'm just going to read this last verse. It says, and this is where we really need to wake up. Candace warned you. Wake up now, please. If you, if you were asleep till now, just wake up now. 
It says this, verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But he now commands all people everywhere to repent. And if you haven't repented yet, that includes you. Because he, look at that, he has fixed a day. It's not an if, it's not a maybe. He has fixed a day, and here comes the part, on which he will judge. This world, in righteousness, by a man whom he has appointed, that's Jesus Christ, his son. And of this he has given us assurance to all by raising him from the dead. If you have celebrated Easter this year, you just got the assurance that God's going to judge those who will not believe in him. So in that verse, you get two things. The righteousness of God and the justice of God. And if anything else that I've said rings true to you, that God is omniscient, omnipresent, that God is sovereign, if all that rings true, you have to believe. If that's real to you, then you have to accept that God's righteousness and His justice is real as well. And therefore, it is important that we come to a place where we get to know God, where we start our journey, where we get to know God. So you can say to me, but, you know, I'll take the chance. I will live without God. And I will say to you, you can take that chance. You can take a chance to live without God. You can take a chance to, to not know Him and live like that for the rest of your life, or you can change to, no, no, it's a wrong ad. You can, you can risk living without God, but you cannot risk dying without God. Today, if you hear my voice, do not turn away and harden your heart. And maybe that's you here today. You, you've been, you've, you started off where Paul started off. He says, you've been very religious, but you don't know God. Maybe that's you. And you've been feeling this tugging at your heart. And God is saying today, I want you to get to know me. I want you to get to know me because I've given the assurance that I will judge this world by raising my son, Jesus, from the dead. And I want to say this to you. Don't accept Jesus just because you want to escape God's judgment. Accept Jesus because you want to know God. You see, if you accept Jesus just because you don't want to burn in a fire, then all you're doing is you're taking out fire insurance. But this is not about fire insurance. It's about getting to know God. Everything that I've said about God is true. He's an awesome God. He's magnificent. He's all that. And He's inviting you today to get to know Him. So I'm not going to embarrass anybody. But I need to ask, I need to ask, 
If you need, want to get to know this Jesus, if you are not sure what will happen to you if, if, if your life ends without Jesus, if you're not sure about eternity, if you want to get, if you want to, get to know this God we serve and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. So you, there's no surprises. I don't want you to be surprised. I'm going to ask and say, if you want to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, will you just raise your hand? And I promise you, I will not embarrass you. And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand just so that I can see who there is that we can pray for. And then I'm going to pray for you, but me praying for you does not save you. The Bible is clear. You've got to believe in your heart and you've got to repent with your mouth. I can't do it on your behalf. And many, many people have sat in meetings like this and they have raised their hands, but they've never repented by themselves. The pastor prayed for them. And the Bible is clear. I can't save you. You have to believe and you have to repent. So when, once you've indicated to me and once I've prayed, I'm then going to call you to the front and say, right now we're going to stand with you and I'm going to call some of the leaders to then personally lead you to the Lord so you can have opportunity. I'm not going to say a prayer and then you're going to follow after me. I would love you to have the experience of praying to God and repenting, being led by the Holy Spirit. And I believe there are people like that here today. I pray that, that your desire to, to know God will be greater than your pride. So now, if there's anybody here tonight, if you want to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and start your journey to know God, will you put up your hand? Will you be brave enough to put up your hand and acknowledge that that's you? And I'm not somebody who drags this out. Because I don't, I don't have to convict you. I don't have to convince you that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So we'll move on. Maybe, maybe you're one of those who you've served God, but most of what you what you know about God is intellectual, and you just need to, somebody to pray with you. You just need a place where you can repent of that and make a commitment that you want to know God, not by intellectual knowledge, but by revelation. Then I'm going to ask you to come up and we, the leaders will just pray with you. Anybody like that that wants to come forward? Maybe we can all stand and we'll just help people stand who wants to stand.